I'm Amy Elisa Jackson, and this is In Pursuit, the podcast from Glassdoor. In every episode, we share the real stories of people navigating life's most pivotal moments at the intersection of the personal and professional. It started with pockets, or the lack of pockets in a suit or dress. Also having no place in a blazer to put a phone. Sally Christensen used these frustrations and also many microaggressions to ditch the corporate world and her comfortable job to go with a gut instinct. She founded a fashion startup called Argent to make functional and beautiful workwear. I speak with her today about how she's using the brand to change the conversation around women in the workplace. Here's my interview with Sally Christensen. Sally Christensen, thank you so much for joining us here at In Pursuit. We're super excited to have you today. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. How's your day going? Talk to me about what a typical day looks like for the founder and CEO of Argent. Well, this week it's been a lot of early mornings. I have a toddler. Uh, see, I've been up at 3.30 and 4. Ouch. Mm. Every morning this week. This morning, actually it was 5, felt good, and then hang out with him, get him all settled, And then generally, I'll start, like, plugging in around 7. Our nanny comes. I had my first meeting at 8 a.m. this morning, breakfast meeting. Wow. Had a couple calls, and now I'm here. Lovely. And then what time does the day usually end? What time are you, like, shutting it down, taking off the Argent blazer? I don't know that that really happens. (laughs) Okay, do you sleep in the blazer? (laughs) Tell me now. Uh, I never take the blazer off. No, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I would say that. The blessing and the curse of an entrepreneur is, like, you just can't really, like, turn it off, you Mm, know? So mm -hmm. I feel like I'm always working, but I certainly value my downtime. So in the evenings, I try and unplug for, like, an hour of TV. I'm in bed pretty early, though, because I, like— I know that early rise is happening. Exactly, because the toddler is, like, pulling on you very early in the morning. <laughs> and then I like to read once I get into bed. So I, like, I have an hour, maybe an hour and a half. Before they pass out. That's, like, not work, not kid. So you founded Argent in 2016. Four years in, how has the day-to-day changed? Like, what are the challenges that you're tackling now that pale into comparison to the problems that you were solving back then? So I quit my job in 2015. I was working at Cisco. Mm -hmm. I spent a year just sort of concepting business planning, team building, fundraising, building an actual product, understanding the market. And then we launched in 2016. And there are stages of the business for sure. I think most entrepreneurs are like this. At least I'm like this. You're much more forward looking and you kind of black out like what's happened, the good and the bad, you know. But there are milestones that you hit and the nature of what you are working on, what you're stressing out about just changes so significantly and you don't even notice that it's happened. And so at first you're doing everything. We're a customer-facing, like, external-facing brands. You want to present bigger than you actually are, but, like, people would be surprised to show up and they're taking appointments with, like, the founder, you know, and shopping with the designer. So we're so much more hands-on in those early days Mm -hmm. because you had to be. Right. Now it's more strategy and thinking about team building. In our current phase, we're looking at making it a bit more formulaic, some of the things that we do, and thinking about how to, like, drive consistent revenue. What have we learned in the last few years? Levers are working. Let's, like, double down on some of those. What aren't, like, what's not working? And then where are our gaps and, like, where do we take it in terms, like, of hiring and team building? So there's a little more strategy now, and it's actually more fun, too, because I feel like I can actually think about growing and building the business versus where is, like, 
payroll coming from, you Correct. know? <laughs> You're not thinking about how do I keep the lights on? Yeah. Are we sure about this? Are we going to make it? Yeah, absolutely. Take us back um, because you you sort of breezed over that, I quit my job at Cisco. Like, that's a big, <laughs> that's a big deal, sis. How did you first come up with the idea for Argent? And when did you know you had lightning in a bottle? Because a lot of folks come up with great ideas and a lot of people want to be disruptors in the industry. But what was it that really convinced you that you had something? And and how did this all first start? Yeah, so my background's in business. I think the best businesses are born from individuals who experience a problem Mm -hmm. and they aren't seeing anyone else solve it. And that's very much the case in this situation. So I started my career in banking. I worked in Chicago for a few years. I went back and got my MBA. I studied supply chain. Mm -hmm. And then I got hired at Cisco Systems and they had a leadership rotational program in their supply chain organization that's essentially like this crash course in supply chain, which I... At that point, had the idea of starting Argent in the back of my head simply because I'd worked across different industries in different cities and saw that this was a pervasive issue for women. Like, it, and we're moving towards this more casual dress code, and the experience of shopping for workwear was fundamentally just flawed. Like, mm-hmm. women really, really hated the experience, myself included. So I intentionally chose my career path, like thinking maybe I'll start this. And then while I was at Cisco, I got pulled into the cloud initiative that was new for them, which was an opportunity to be an entrepreneur. So um, to build a team, to define a team, to hire and manage, like it was a team of 16, which is pretty big, and just build something from nothing. So our team grew as the seventh person hired. Our team grew to 250 people in a year. And so I just learned a lot about myself through that. During that experience, I read a study that showed that women are judged based on appearance. And every woman's like, "Uh Uh (laughs) uh-huh. And for the first time, they quantified the impact of what you wear on your bottom line over your lifetime. It actually, it's super significant. So 20 to 40% is how much that could impact your own personal bottom line, meaning like you could take 20 to 40% less home over your lifetime simply based on how you show up. Wow. Just based off of what you look like, what you're wearing, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I read that and that was the catalyst. I put in my notice immediately. Because I really saw this massive opportunity to solve a problem that I'd experienced for so long and leverage the power of brand to really change the conversation around women in the workplace. I felt like no one was, like, giving women an accurate, like, portrayal of success, you know? And so our intention is to visually inspire women to be bold, like, F the rules, go for it, like be unapologetic because it is a world of double standards and women encounter a lot more obstacles than men do. Yeah, so I quit cold turkey. That's amazing. Having done nothing because I knew that there was something there. I just knew in my gut that there was something there. I think you're tapping into something that's really important. It wasn't just about creating vibrant pieces of clothing um, for women to wear, but it was connecting to that message, connecting to the fact that you can be uncompromising and show up in your workspace in a vibrant cobalt blue blazer. You can show up in bright pink and be taken seriously and still command attention in the boardroom. How did you find yourself trying to navigate being uncompromising and being a fashion disruptor? Because there are plenty of companies that come out with a hot pink blazer. But what was it that you were really trying to to impress upon the marketplace and to women who were buying your clothes? From day one, we started talking to the customer And I am the customer, and we were obsessive about creating 
a line of communication with that audience between like us, our design team, and customer base. I truly believe like our product is so much better and so much different than anything that's out there. And what makes us unique is functionality. So we have interior pockets on all of our blazers, um, just to give you one small example, but if a, a place for your phone, a place for your credit card, a place for your ID, a place for pens and lip gloss. You can put so much in this jacket and it doesn't compromise the aesthetic of it. Game change. <laughs> so <laughs> when we were conducting competitive research and looking at the competitive landscape, every company actually like positions themselves as a work solution. But that's oftentimes a secondary or like tertiary focus for them. And you experience that as a customer and it just too much like of the um, work has been put on the customer when they shop and have to piece together an outfit and figure out what's appropriate and what isn't. And for us, we are strictly in the work category and we're not deviating from that. And so I think that really makes us special. And then we did introduce a new attitude. And I think that just came from me and my experiences Mm -hmm. and really being frustrated by the fact that no one was connecting directly with myself and my peers. Mm -hmm. And the last piece of it is we've really definitely become known for color. And we saw immediately an appetite for color. And this was before anyone was offering any type of colorful suiting. We sold out of cobalt. We sold out of red. And so we took that insight and ran with it. Ran with it. Absolutely. (laughs) The idea of quitting a very lucrative job, very successful job, to launch a business that, yes, you were absolutely equipped to start, but that's a risk, right? And there's privilege in the even the ability to walk away and confidently know. What do you say to, to people who are out there, women who are out there thinking about entrepreneurship but really hesitant and may not have the, the same amount of privilege? What advice would you give them? So, one, I was in a place in my life where it didn't feel like a risky decision to me. Like I had a husband and we didn't have kids yet and I was 28, 29. And so it felt as if this was, regardless of outcome, going to be a really great experience for me. And I felt that I could reenter the workforce and this was only going to position me to be, you know, a bigger value add if I had to do that. And my advice for anyone thinking about starting a company, so I just have like, insane conviction and like what our ultimate goal is like we envision ourselves becoming the workwear authority we connect now and like we'll continue doing so connect women with tools to help them optimally navigate their careers we're having a real impact on women and we're hearing from them every single day that we're giving them confidence heading into a presentation we're giving them confidence heading into a salary negotiation they're getting raises they're getting new jobs and they're like crediting how they're feeling and the confidence they're deriving from wearing Argent. And, like, that's everything. So I, like, had to do this because I feel so strongly about helping give women tools to be successful. And I just think it really is unequal footing as much as we're talking about it. In society, like, tech companies are largely predominantly male still, you know. So this is our effort to try and, like, help out as much as possible. And that just aligns so much with, like, who I am and what my values are. And so I had to do this. And I think that I've talked to a lot of people who have an idea, but they aren't, they don't have that conviction. Do not start, do not try. You will fail. Like you, you have to have such resilience and you have to be a little bit delusional and it isn't always logical on paper. And I walked away from, yeah, like a really great career path, but this is absolutely more rewarding. 
Was there a moment when your conviction really was the thing that buoyed you? A moment that was a huge setback or a slap in the face or a rejection or a no where the conviction is the thing that pushed you forward? So many moments. I mean, (laughs) I don't know if I can point to any particular moment, but I think like, I mean, I'm a female and raising money for a fashion company and I'm solving a female problem. Like, that's like the trifecta in the worst way. (laughs) Especially when you're trying to raise money at VCs and, yeah, having those conversations in rooms that are mostly male. The conversations are so different with men and women because women in two seconds are like, oh, I totally get it. And men are like, explain the problem to me. And so you can just zoom past, like, the problem statement with women, actually dig into the data. And for men, it just takes so much more education. But beyond that, there's just inherent bias, whether people know it or not. And so at one point early on, a really reputable VC told us that utility doesn't belong in women's clothing. Oh, utility doesn't belong in women's clothing. And that's a huge part of what we're building. Right. And if you think about the number one complaint from women, it's pockets. It's pockets. We never get pockets in pants. We're thrilled when we get a pocket in a dress. Uh, You know, there's never anywhere in our blazers to put your phone, a tampon, sneak a tampon. Right? How many of us have, like, put the tampon in our sleeve to try and get to the restroom? You know, it's like it's impossible all the tricks of the trade we had to learn. 100%. I mean, to me, that was such an enlightening moment because fashion is also, like, in the upper levels, it's predominantly Mm male-run. And I think that there is this assumption of this, like, shrink-and-pink-it model where they remove pockets and they just are trying to make women look pretty. And you're like, we absolutely need function. We want function. We need function. And there's some, like, real experiences that I can point to where not having Argent clothing actually held me back. So, like, I worked on a joint venture with a a state-owned enterprise in China while I was at Cisco, and an executive came into town. There were two other women that were working on the project, and it was predominantly male. It was a male executive in town. We all went out for lunch together and, like, continued the conversation, but all three women had to go back to their desks to grab their purses. And all the men had everything they needed on them. And so... The conversation continued during the walk to lunch, and then everyone seated, or like everyone sat around the male executive, and we ended up at the end of the table. And that, to me, like it's such a small example, but it's, this is like these are the subtleties that we're trying to solve in our clothing. So now I carry my credit card and my ID right here in my pocket in my blazer. I have my phone in my blazer at all times. And so I have the basics, you know, so right. I can just go straight to that meeting. And that's what we want to give women. Another is just like conferences. You're carrying handbags. You know, like you're just it's unnecessary. Like how do we streamline this woman's life who's time constrained and so like expectations are huge upon her? Great examples. What's been the most rewarding part of being CEO and founder of Argent? I mean, you talk about sort of the women who have sent you notes about being that much more confident in their salary negotiations, et cetera. What are some of those rewarding moments that make all of this worth it? I mean, that's it. That gives me life. It gives me energy. It gives me everything. I mean, I've had low, low days. Every entrepreneur has like what what they call the trough of sorrow. You have periods of time where you are just depressed, you know? You have periods of time where you doubt something or you question yourself or you question your entire venture. And I think anyone that says otherwise is, is lying. Lying. <laughs> 
And so, yeah, I've had some really dark moments. And what I learned pretty quickly is that turning to our customers is what keeps me going. And digging into, like, some of those testimonials is, is what really gives me life. And, yeah, I think that's my number one. We also have had the opportunity to address a lot of really incredible women. Yes. Hillary Clinton, <laughs> AOC, Kamala Harris. I mean, everyone is wearing an Argent suit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've been unbelievably fortunate. I think there are a lot of high profile women that are wearing us and it, it highlights how underserved this market is across Hollywood, across politics, across tech and consulting and banking. I think it's been amazing to see someone like Hillary Clinton wearing an Argent suit, right? Because she was the founder of the pantsuit nation, known across the globe for wearing her power suits, but always being criticized, right, for what she wore, whether it was feminine enough. Is it too masculine? Is it too feminine? Is, like, is she wearing the right color? Is she not? How has the conversation really changed for women and their workwear, their capabilities, right? Sometimes how you look is intertwined with your professional acumen. Um, how has that conversation changed and have you seen it change? Yeah, so I think what's interesting, so Hillary Clinton's self-proclaimed pantsuit aficionado. She's awesome. She's um, <laughs> um, She really, I think, gave women in politics especially permission to start expressing themselves through their clothing. And they've started doing that and moving away from blending in to, like, really standing out, owning their power. Mm-hmm. So I have talked to a lot of individuals over the last five years and— Sometimes I get pushback in terms of like, why are you having this conversation with me and not with my male peers? And I completely understand that. I think it's like absolute BS that women are held to a different standard and more is expected of us. But I think what's important is awareness. And that's why we exist. Awareness of the fact that people are paying attention to what you wear. Mm -hmm. People are judging you based on what you wear. People are making career decisions about you based on what you wear. And if you choose to ignore that, that's totally fine, but it does have an effect on your outcome, you know? Correct. And so I kind of look at this as just another piece of the puzzle. Like, the more aware you are of what's happening in the workplace, the more equipped you are to navigate it successfully. And so this is one piece of many. The flip side of it that I also like to talk a lot about is, like, you derive confidence from what you wear. So we all know that experience of putting something on that makes us feel awesome. Yep. I see it time and time again when women come in. They'll put something on that's not quite right. And I'm like, okay, no, not right for you, not right for you. They put something on they feel great in. Their shoulders are back. They're glowing. They, like, they just interact with the world differently. Like, they just feel so good. Absolutely. I think that's so powerful. And you can show up to work like that. Our goal is to help women feel like that. I don't know that I've actually seen much change in terms of the judgment that happens, but I have seen a lot of change in women really embracing standing out, which I love. That's that's really been the change from when we launched. Fantastic. I think it's been very interesting to see the conversation around being a woman in the workplace really evolving, right? The New York Times has even published a guide on how to navigate being the only woman in the room. How do you think about where Argent participates in that conversation of women in the workplace. Like you've created a very strong foundation and you've been highlighting a lot of the differences between men and women in the workplace and how they're perceived. But how do you think about the conversation, moving the conversation forward? I very much see us as being part of the conversation. So I think something that captures who we are as a brand or the events that we've hosted over the last few years Our goal is to truly be a resource to women for whatever they need. 
obviously like our foundation is our product and that's simply like a physical reminder of who we are and what we stand for. And if you're the one woman showing up to a room of 10 men, you know, there's a small army of us like behind you, you know, and we're all going through the same things. And when you encounter, you know, a difficult salary negotiation or whatever it is, you know that you have to fight a little bit harder and like we're here to sort of push you. Um, But the events that we've hosted, so we do things like financial literacy planning training, negotiating Mm -hmm. training. Everything that we've done in an event has something actionable that you walk away with. So I'll use negotiations as an example. We brought in six executives that you wouldn't normally get FaceTime with. We include men. We have male executives and female executives. We have male attendees and female attendees. We 100% include men in all of the activities that we do because we think change really is going to happen by informing everyone. And then you would sit down and basically do like speed talks Mm. with three of the executives and they'd talk through how to manage a salary negotiation, how to manage a vendor negotiation, just general Q&A. And so it's catered to you and where you are in your career. Mm -hmm. What I found really interesting from this exercise was that the male executive walked away understanding that women are fundamentally experiencing something different, you know, than men are. And they're in a position of power and can influence that outcome. We really, really pride ourselves on just being a resource for women and being a tool for women and having what I think is the right attitude for achieving whatever it is that you want to. You guys are also opening up brick-and-mortar stores. Talk to me about the decision to go into, you know, local communities because you see so many retailers just either one sticking to the online space or two shuttering their own stores. What made you want to go brick and mortar and what's the experience like when a woman walks into Argent? Inherent in our model have always been like physical spaces and physical locations simply because we're building a community. And so having those locations for events and, you know, for hosting women like and men getting together, it really allows us to build what we ultimately envision building. Right now, we have a store in San Francisco, a store in New York, a showroom in L.A., and a pop-up in D.C. Wow. It's great for a number of reasons. I mean, the community building aspect is probably my favorite piece. It also gives women an opportunity to come in and, like, feel, see, try on, and touch the clothes. Our success rate, if someone comes in and actually experiences the product, is huge because our price point's very accessible for the quality. Yes, accessible for the quality, but the average person who's just like browsing online, they see the price point and they're like, ooh, mm, workwear. But I think you have sort of a, a real understanding of the price point does match the quality of the clothing and the quality of the materials. Yes, and it's intended to be in your closet for at a minimum a decade. We're sourcing high-quality fabrics from Italy, Japan, France. Switzerland, we're manufacturing in Manhattan. So this is not fast fashion. This is not fast fashion, (laughs) and it is not going to end up in the landfill. But it's true. Everyone's paying much more attention to fast fashion and how it is filling up landfills, and there are a lot of companies who are trying to address that issue. One of the other things, going back to the brick-and-mortar experience, I love the fact that there are phone rooms and little co-working nooks in your stores I think for those who are listening, any of us who are multitasking women out there have had the experience where you're like, I'm just going to dip out in my lunch break. (laughs) I'm going to go shopping real quick. And all of a sudden your boss calls or all of a sudden there's a meeting that has to happen. And you're like frantically trying to log into the Zoom dial in. You're trying to like balance, you know, your coffee, your phone, plus the laptop and trying to make it all work at the same time. But if you walk into Argent, there's an opportunity to not only try on a dope blazer, but also multitask with your call 
wall and your boss never has to know. And we learned that from people doing it. So we <laughs> we had pop-ups, and I'll never forget a woman just sat in the fitting room on the phone. She was a journalist. She was in an interview mm-hmm. for— Been there. <laughs> two hours. Yep. I was like, what? Are you okay? You sure you don't need anything? I think the key insight is, like, we know who our customer is, and we know that we can offer these amenities if needed because, yeah, things pop up and oftentimes are unanticipated. And so we have— in our spaces, you know, you can just set up and, like, be on Wi-Fi and work. We have private areas for you to take phone calls. We actually have some private areas you can take meetings. It depends on the space. D.C. does not offer this, so don't go to D.C. <laughs> for any of this. But in our other spaces that we've actually built out, we were really cognizant of what we wanted to offer to a really specific consumer. As a successful woman, Sally, in, in sort of this workplace space, do you feel pressure to continue to lean in? to not let up because you've got this army of argent women now like cheering you on, right? And four years in, do you feel the pressure to continue plowing forward? Or do you feel like the women who support the brand and the business really understand that there are times to lean in and times to lean out? I think I my like motivation comes from the impact that we're having at an individual level mm-hmm. uh, for women and to the conversation and ultimately, like, really believing in what we're building. I, I I don't know that I really call it, like, leaning in, per se. I just am being who I am, you know, and um, trying to give trying to give women, like, access to whatever it is that they might need. Uh, and the feedback that we hear from them is so validating. It just kind of keeps us moving forward. So... I don't know that I really think think about it in those terms, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. I think the question sort of comes from a place not only in my own professional career, but many of the executive women who I've sat down with who are trailblazers, right? They're either the first or the only. There is this sense of responsibility to the women coming up behind you or the, the women alongside you to continue to push forward, to push ahead. Mm-hmm. And that's fantastic. And it's wonderful. And it's inspiring. And we've all been there. But then there are those moments where you want more than one hour to watch Grace and Frankie. <laughs> you, you, you know, you want to take off the blazer for a second, and you just want to chill. Or you just want to, you know, go on vacation and not answer the phone. And so I just wonder whether as a female entrepreneur, whether you ha- feel like you have the ability to lean out a little bit where you're not plowing ahead with opening five new stores and then tackling this and visiting so-and-so and taking meetings, et cetera. How do you balance that? I think everyone has to be mindful of what makes them happy and what makes them tick. And, like, I'm acutely aware of that. I actually learned this at Cisco because I was in a job that was insane. Like, I probably slept two, three hours a night while I was there. And the thing that I learned more than anything was, I hate using this phrase, but work-life balance. Mm-hmm. I really figured out, like, what I had to have every day. So I have to exercise. Okay. I have to have some time to unplug. Now, like, I'm, you know, having kids. Like, I have to have time with my kids. So I know what drives me and my family life. And I also know that I have an opportunity to give back, and I will always make time for that. Mm-hmm. But I think you have to be realistic, you know, in terms of, like, keeping yourself grounded and, like, what amount of time is appropriate to be doing that and, like, how you're most efficient with that, et cetera. So I've certainly had to be a little bit more thoughtful in terms of how I manage my time. Mm -hmm. But 
I always, always like want to be available for anyone that I can potentially help, anyone that I could help in any way. And I'd like to model the behavior, you know, of like a really like successful badass woman, however you want to <laughs> say it. Um, but I think the struggle that I've seen with female executives is that there's so many demands on their time because there's so few of them. And where Argent comes in and what I've always hoped for us is to be able to solve that. So we do bring in these female executives and they give back to 100 to 200 women in an hour or two, you know, versus having to have 20 coffees with someone over 30 minutes. So how do we make it a bit more scalable and like how do we make their time more scalable and how do we give women access to the same types of information and sort of level the playing field? And then like I'll also say, I don't really think of myself differently in a lot of ways than like my male counterparts. Like I just you just doing you know, it and yeah. plowing ahead. You're like I'm I'm going to be a badass. Yeah, I don't like, care who it is or what we're doing. I'm yeah. winning, you're winning. Cool. <laughs> um but I had so many male mentors too and I think that the risk with this conversation is alienating men and you know focusing on females as like the only way to really get any sort of like training and that's the networking you should be doing and like that's who you should be learning from. I've learned so much from my male mentors and advocates and so it's always been ba- a balanced mix for me but yeah I don't I, I'd never lean out as you put it I like it. I understand it. But I love your point about the importance of bringing men into the conversation and having male mentors. I think there can be this perception that as women climbing the corporate ladder or just climbing any ladder, that it's all about the sisterhood and we've got to lean into one another. And there's some bridges that always have to be built and maintained. And there's really valuable insight from the guys in your workplace and from other men who've done it blaze trails of their own. And so I think that's a really important point that it's not only about the woman tribe. It's also about, you know, bridging the gaps and not sort of segregating. I think right now in this sort of Me Too era, it's very easy to separate. It's very, very easy to be like, oh, I don't trust that, or I'm not really sure, or I'm worried about having this type of professional relationship. But it's really important. So many decisions about your career made when you're not in the room. Mm. The numbers are just going to show that men are oftentimes making those decisions. Networking is something that men do more than women, especially early in their career. It's the most important thing that you could do, and you should be networking nonstop. Nonstop with, with men and women. And I think the unfortunate like repercussion of the Me Too conversation is that women are being excluded from consideration for jobs now because it's perceived as risky. You know, like I think they're getting cut out in a lot of ways and that is the absolute worst outcome, you know. Yep. And so it's figuring out like how to combat some of the things that happen. I'll, I went out once with probably the male that was the most influential in my career at Cisco and beyond, like he has been so supportive at Argent. But we went out one-on-one for drinks one time and there was a group of three women next to us that were certainly like judging us and making comments. Mm. And it was a professional relationship, always has been. Um, in that time, like I learned how decisions are made for promotions. I learn who's like, you know, on my side, who's not on my side, who I need to talk to. Like, I'm learning so much informally that if I didn't take that time or have that relationship, I, I wouldn't know or be privy to. Right. 
And we have to make sure that as women, we're not looking at another woman who's having, you know, a professional drink with a man and giving her the side eye. Right. There's a lot that we're that we can be doing to support her and not question that relationship because it. You know, having a drink with a male colleague does not mean anything other than you're having a drink with a male colleague. Um, and so I think there there is that sisterhood that we could be extending in a little bit of grace, understanding, and not allowing ourselves to fall into the stereotype as well. Completely. What is a great piece of business advice or life advice that you've received along your journey in the past, maybe four years? Who gave it to you and how has it enhanced your life? Okay, you better tell, because that look on your face, the chuckle, it's probably really good. I feel like it's so specific to Argent. But I think this is more, like, related to building a company. Every entrepreneur is so naive going into that process. And in a lot of ways, you have to be to survive and to even even make the commitment to begin with. Very early on, someone just warned me against getting too caught up in like the hoopla when you do launch because there is a lot of attention the second you launch but the advice was like to stay steady you know and like we got some great press coverage right when we launched we like so many things happened the second that we launched and we were like living high but you cannot do that like you can't stay there because you have to sustain that and that's not it's like an absolute marathon so I thought that was really good advice the second was This is probably my favorite is to be really intentional and thoughtful about who you involve with your venture because it's literally you against the world and your odds are very low. Mm -hmm. And you have to find people that are genuinely passionate about what you're building and what you're doing. This applies, I think, regardless Regardless, of what environment you're in. But really, really taking that time up front, not rushing decisions, and making sure that they see you as more than, like, a paycheck, you know? Mm -hmm. And I've made that mistake. Like, even with that advice, I made that mistake over and over again. And I think you have to learn that one the hard way, unfortunately. But I think I got there quicker because I had this piece of advice in the back of my head. I think that's so important for all of us, whether you're starting a business or you're simply working at a company that you love. Really being mindful of the people you surround yourself with, being mindful of the people who pour into you and who you are in relation with, because they leave an imprint, right? Mm -hmm. And their words creep in and it can sway you one way or the other. And being surrounded by good quality friends and family and business contacts and vendors, all of that is so invaluable and so important to the success of your business, but also your own professional success. Yes. And as an entrepreneur, like you're the most excited, you're the most passionate. Mm -hmm. And so early on, I was the worst person to hire people. I was like basically cut off from being the sole hire. Why were you the worst person to hire? Because I, so many of us are guilty of this. I would project my enthusiasm onto whoever I was talking Mm. to. And it's like they're feeding off of my energy. I don't recognize that. And then I hire them. I'm like, what the hell? You're like, what happened to their enthusiasm (laughs) about our mission? And really, then you think back to the interview question and you're like, they weren't really that jazzed about our mission. They were just feeding off of the cute blazer. Yeah, oftentimes that's (laughs) the case. Oftentimes the founder is not the best judge. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've, I've learned how to tweak. We've put a system in place that protects us against rushing those decisions. Smart. Hiring is your make or break. One thing I read about Argent that I really loved was that not only are you uncompromising and you're disrupting in this space, but you are here to drop kick the glass ceiling. First of all, I'm all for a good <laughs> drop kick. I'm here for it. 
If you had one piece of advice to women about sort of navigating bias and drop kicking the glass ceiling, what would that be? I think you have to be a little bit unafraid and outspoken with what you see. I'll use an example from my past. I noticed that I was getting asked to take meeting minutes. I was getting asked to plan parties. I was getting asked Girl. to do non-promotable tasks. <laughs> non-promotable tasks, mm-hmm. yes. And it happens. You read about it happening all the time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, I'm going to talk to my manager about this. And so I didn't have a manager in between like a more senior manager. So I was reporting yep. above what I should have been. And he had so much authority. And I said, look, just so you know, one, I'm working on actively saying no because I say yes to everything. Two, you're asking me to do all these like, you know. Administrative feminine tasks that you think only women are supposed to do. All the time. I was yep. the only woman in the room. I was one of the more senior women. It was a 90, Our makeup of our team was 95% male, 5% female. And so it was such an eye-opening conversation for him. Mm. And he was in a position of power. And for me, it also, like, allowed me to really focus on my work. But then I watched him, you know, divvy up the work across my male peers and counterparts. And it was so productive. And so I think the majority of people, in my experience, aren't intentionally biased. Biased. Yeah. It just happens, you know? And so how do we become a part of that conversation at every level? And so this, you know, I was in my 20s when this happened. I think I really did see changed behavior. I think this manager was amazing and so open in the conversation. I think we have to be able to have those types of conversations. I think managers have to open the door to them as well. And as women, sometimes we have to find that voice, right? Like I had a situation at work where I was just really disappointed with a decision that was made. And it took me five or six weeks Mm -hmm. to figure out how I wanted to craft a response because I didn't want to come from a place of emotion. I knew that if I did, you know, I would just lose all my power. I'd be like, nah, you're not getting my tears. You are not getting my tears. Yep. So it took me five or six weeks to figure out how I wanted to craft that response and deliver it in a way that was powerful and succinct and reflective of how I felt. But it took time. Yes. And it takes time for women to feel like, for anybody, it could be man or woman, to feel like they've got the right words in which to say, I appreciate that you really enjoy working with me, manager. But I want to call to your attention that you've asked me to get water or take minutes or whiteboard something four times, and none of the other men in the room are being asked for this. So it takes real time to practice that, and it's not something that, you know, an Instagram quotable is going to give you overnight. I think totally. there's that perception, right? Yes. That, like, Sally from Origin said, I need to get it together, and so immediately it's going to happen. Yes. That change doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. I, that sounds so much more eloquent than the way I handled it, too, but <laughs> I was like, listen. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think that's exactly right. Sally, careers aren't linear. What has been your best detour or pivot? Advice that I always give is never become complacent. Any time that you're complacent in a role or you're not learning, like, find the next role. I think that the landscape has changed so much now. And the modern workforce is very different than it was for our parents and, you know, previous generations. So probably my most nonlinear would be the leap from tech into Argent. (laughs) Um, But if you look at my career path, like, It's logical in some ways, but I also just always put myself in roles that I thought were interesting and I thought were places that I would learn from, you know. Mm -hmm. And if you're doing that, I think that that keeps you really innovative. I think it keeps you relevant. I think it keeps you just 
kind of on your toes and like really going against the status quo, you know, and challenging what's been accepted in ways that I think is really productive. So I truly started Argent like knowing that I would just learn from it Mm -hmm. and nothing more. Like I didn't need more from it. I just wanted an experience to learn from. I would like it to be successful, obviously, (laughs) so I maybe need that. But I really think that nonlinear career paths are the most interesting, um, for me at least, maybe not for everyone. I think it's all about how you how you craft the narrative about your career, right? I think a lot of people rely on their resume or their LinkedIn profile to like make it obvious that they took this step and then this step and it made sense. But it's really about the narrative that you tell. And I think what you're pointing out around you're taking roles and you look at new opportunities around what you'll learn and and how that you'll be challenged, I think that that makes perfect sense. It's just more holistic, I think, than people often are willing to do. And I like I truly think that you are a little bit more lethal when you are willing to take that path because it's risk taking, you know, and it's perceived as being brave Mm -hmm. and it's perceived as like really pushing things. And if it makes sense to you, just do it. Lastly, Sally, as you look ahead, what are you most in pursuit of? Equality, for sure. I mean, I I think it's obvious from probably everything I've talked about, but. I just want women to have equal access, and I want us to be a part of that as much as possible, or as little as possible, you know, whatever is needed. But I think that, or we talk the talk, we're not walking the walk. And unfortunately, the increased amount of conversation leads people to think change has happened, and I don't think change actually really has happened. And so how do we get there, and how do we make our society more productive by involving women in a more fair way? I love that. (laughs) Sally Christensen, thank you so very much for joining us on In Pursuit. This was so fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to In Pursuit, the podcast from Glassdoor. This episode was produced by Lee Schneider and Allison Sullivan. Music by Epidemic Sound. Production by Red Cup Agency. Look for us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on Apple, don't forget to share the love. Give us some stars. Leave a comment. Thanks for listening. I'm Amy Elisa Jackson, and this is In Pursuit.